Hey everyone, before you dive into this week's teaching from Pastor Chris, we just wanted to say thanks so much for listening. If you find this podcast to be encouraging or helpful in growing deeper in your faith, would you take a few seconds and share it with someone? They too could be needing the very same thing that you received. Again, thanks for listening and we pray that you have a wonderful day. We're kicking off our series this morning called Masterclass and diving into the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I don't know if you guys know what Masterclass is, um, but Masterclass is this online education program that's kind of like blown up kind of over COVID. It, It started early on, I can't remember how many years ago, but this idea is this online education platform where you can learn from the master's. You can learn from different people who are highly educated, skilled, top of their field, and to actually learn directly from them. And it's really cool. If you guys have ever, you could check it out. I think it's masterclass.com. And uh, you can do things like you can learn from Chris Voss, who teaches the art of negotiation, who is a retired FBI hostage negotiator. If I'm going to learn hostage negotiation, it's from that guy. Trust me. You can learn from Neil deGrasse Tyson about scientific thinking and communication. You can learn how to shoot a basketball from Steph Curry. You can learn how to play the guitar from Carlos Santana. Natalie Portman will teach you acting. Gordon Ramsay will teach you cooking. There's so many things from leadership to sports, arts, writing, filmmaking, communication, chess, business, music, you want to learn about a topic from the top person in that field, you can go to Masterclass and they will teach you themselves through their process. It's actually pretty incredible. One of my favorite is Aaron Franklin taught me how to smoke a brisket. And uh, I'm telling you, I took his Masterclass and uh, I think my brisket is better than his. I'm just saying, I never had it, but from the video that I saw his versus mine, I think I'm now the master. So um, no, I'm just kidding. But the reality is that Jesus himself is our master, right? Jesus himself is the master. And when we open up the word of God, we find ourselves in this place in Matthew chapter five, where he begins to teach a master class known as the Sermon on the Mount to everybody gathered around him. And up to this point, Jesus had been traveling around. He'd been performing miracles. He'd been teaching different people different things. And it comes to this point where where Jesus finds himself with a huge crowd gathered around him on a hillside in Capernaum where he is going to teach through the greatest stuff that we could ever learn ourselves. And really, an insight or a cheat code or a hack sometimes to life. There's debate on whether this sermon was taught in, in one sitting, whether it was taught over a series of weeks, or it was taught over all throughout time, and somebody just took and compiled all this stuff together. But what we do know is that this idea in the Sermon on the Mount is really taking a deeper look into Christ's explanation of his kingdom. And what do I mean by that? Well, I mean that, that sometimes... We think of what Christ might want or what Christ thinks is our kingdom, and that's our earthly kingdom. And our our perspective is is focused on here and now and around us, which which is easy to do because that's our world. Our our, our life in, in society and those around us, it's easy to think like that. But Christ in here and this time for the first time is saying, I want you to have a greater perspective. 
I don't want you to be focused on the here, the now, the this. He goes, I want you to think with an eternal perspective. I want you to think about more than just now. And in this sermon that that Jesus preaches through, he reveals what the kingdom of God truly looks like. He shows an insight of what it's truly all about. And he puts these different pieces together about this idea of heaven. And and we're going to read about it this morning, talking about the kingdom of heaven. Because up to this point, Jesus had been teaching and and, and telling people and, and showing up in their lives and giving them what they needed here and now. Healing, miracles, restoration. And Jesus said, this is just a piece of that. This is just almost a a, a peek behind the curtain of what I have in store, of what I want to ultimately be the world that we are a part of and we live in, and that's in heaven. And sometimes, though, this kingdom of God is a little bit upside down compared to our world. That, that God's eternal perspective and his, his image of what the kingdom of God looks like is completely opposite of the world that we live in today. That there, there's values in the world of, of trying to be powerful and being the elite and being the top dog. But as we're going to read this morning in the Beatitudes, God's kingdom is, is more for the lowly, the poor, the downtrodden, those that are pushed away in society, Jesus said, no, 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 these are the greatest of all. Not the ones that are most popular, not the ones that have X amount of followers on social media, not the ones that we see in TVs or on movies or, or in, in society or maybe sitting in the big house or a part of a governmental structure. God says, no, 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 no. My kingdom of heaven is different than that. Where we see different values and status and influence, Jesus sees values in humility and compassion. And so this Sermon on the Mount is kind of, kind of like the Ten Commandments of the Old Testament into the New Testament. And we're going to be really diving in this morning into the eight different Beatitudes. And Jesus is going to set this tone for this whole time of teaching on the Sermon on the Mount right here at the beginning. And this is ultimately how God wants us to live. So our big goal for this series and these next few weeks as we walk through parts of the Sermon on the Mount is really to be reminded of what God has called us to. This, this greater calling that God has on our lives, the way we are conducting our relationships, the way we are to worship, the way we are to live with the blessings and the resources we've been giving, to, to live out the way that we're supposed to while we are here, to make God's kingdom here on earth so that we know ultimately how to behave when we get to heaven. That's ultimately what it's about. And for us to live not as the world's kingdom or as the United States kingdom or as a political party or a cultural subgroup or even any other thing or place that we find ourselves in, but God's kingdom. And we are called in God's kingdom to be fined by Christ's love, his compassion, kindness, his generosity, his humility, and his peace. 
And Jesus here is going to give a master class on being a citizen in God's kingdom. So Matthew chapter 5 kicks off the beginning of the section we call the Sermon on the Mount. It begins with eight Beatitudes. And what's interesting here is doing research on this, these eight Beatitudes were actually originally intended for the disciples. And anybody who was, might have been gathered around or in that place just got to kind of listen in to hear Jesus teach his disciples. See, they were sitting there learning from the master, learning from in that cultural and that society would have been their rabbi or their, their, their top dog teacher, essentially. They would have been sitting there learning from Jesus, the one who, who knew everything, who understood everything, who, who had cultivated this, this incredible following because of his knowledge and his gifts and his abilities. And so we find ourselves here in Matthew chapter 5, immediately following Jesus doing kind of a healing tour, if we want to put it in a short way. He had gone around, he had healed a bunch of people, had performed different miracles. Everybody was following this, this, this superstar of a, of a person thinking, maybe I can get a little bit of that. Maybe I can maybe get some food. Maybe I can be healed from something I'm struggling with. Maybe I can see this, this magic trick before my eyes and be entertained. There's a lot of people following Jesus for just the entertainment factor at this time. And so it begins here, Matthew chapter 5. The verse is going to be on screen. I'd love for you to follow along. Maybe grab a Bible on the, underneath the chair in front of you. But it says this in Matthew chapter 5. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all things of evil against you because of me, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. These beatitudes really set a tone, don't they? I don't know if you guys have read through these before or have seen these before this moment here, but, but they don't really necessarily paint this amazing picture of life, do they? They, they, they paint a picture that is kind of different than what the world tells us that we should value. Humility, meekness, poor, persecution. These aren't necessarily the words that I would think of when I would sign up for a, a new club to be able to join and to have our motto across the t-shirt. I would be like, hey, um, Jesus, are you really sure about this? Are you really sure that this is what you're about? Because at this point, the disciples themselves had to begin to kind of glean off of Jesus' popularity. 
There were probably opportunities for them to maybe make a little cash on the side, getting somebody a little bit closer to Jesus. They might have been become recognized just as much as Jesus when they started rolling into a town. Hey, hey, there's that Peter guy. There's John. I know John. We used to be old fishing buddies. Like they, the disciples had an opportunity to, to get a little something, something for themselves based upon all this pizzazz that Jesus was putting on out there. And I think Jesus began to maybe see this in them and go, hey guys, let's, let's have a quick powwow here. I want you to remember, I want you to know that what you think, where this is headed, a kingdom, a a kingdom where you think maybe you're outside of the governmental rule, a kingdom where maybe you think I'm going to take on the Roman Empire and wipe them out, and then you're going to be the next heads of state and senate because you rolled with me through this time. My kingdom is much different than what you think. My kingdom isn't about power. My kingdom isn't about fame. My kingdom isn't about financial just outpouring upon you. My kingdom is about something different. And I think Jesus here is saying, here, here, here's some rules for life just so that you're on the same page with me. Just so that you understand what's going on right now. That this crowd you're seeing beginning to gather around us as we're talking is here for different reasons. They're here for reasons for themselves. But my kingdom is not about ourselves. My kingdom is about God's kingdom, a heavenly kingdom. And I think when we read these, this should really define who we are. This should really begin to penetrate us because we know this is not just for the disciples. This is for anybody who calls themselves a follower of Christ. We don't get to kind of skip through these first 12 verses in Matthew chapter 5 and get to move on to all the other fun stuff. But these eight Beatitudes set the tone for the life that we're called to be if we are going to be one that says, I'm a disciple or I'm a follower Jesus. So Matthew verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, the first beatitude, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does this mean? Well, it means blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are lowly, maybe beaten down, maybe disadvantaged in this world. Jesus first begins this, and I find this interesting, that he sets this tone at the beginning of these beatitudes, talking about a way that God's kingdom is actually complete opposite of what everybody in life has always strived to be. Rich, famous, known, a place of status, maybe financial stability. And Jesus said, no, no, no. My kingdom is about those poor in spirit. Those that the world excludes and kind of pushes off to the side says you're less than, Jesus says, that's all that I am. That's all that I'm about. And that we can have great finances here on earth. We can have status. We can, be, we, we, we can have an opportunity 
to have recognition in this world. That's not bad, but God's kingdom isn't about that. And Jesus here is saying that my kingdom is actually for those who are discarded. That's who I'm truly here for. I found it interesting, this word blessed here at the beginning of each of these beatitudes actually finds its roots in the word happy. But actually not just happy itself. There's a specific variation of this word in the original scriptures in the Greek that talks about a multitude or a, a, a huge outpouring or a large, something expansive. And so Jesus here is essentially saying through all of these are big happy are the poor in spirit. Big happy are those who mourn. And I think that that changes maybe our perspective. I don't know how you would say, maybe define the word blessed, but Jesus here is saying, instead of blessed, he's saying large, joyful, exceedingly cheerful, big, happy. For here are the poor in spirit. Jesus moves on. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. What does that mean? Blessed are those, big happy, are those who have no hope in this world and who yet see the brokenness of this world, understanding this isn't the end all, be all. Grief is an incredibly powerful emotion. I don't know if you've ever experienced Greek or grief in your life. But did you know we're actually not created to experience that emotion? Grief is actually emotion as a result of the fall and the garden and death that came into this world. That's why there's so many different ways people respond to grief is because our body like doesn't even know how to respond. You see people process grief in so many different ways. And, and, and I'm not saying that that's wrong. There's a lot of different healthy ways to process grief. But if we're not careful, we let grief just overload our system and overcome us to where we find ourselves sometimes in a place of grief going down a really dark, dark path. Because it's all a result of the sin and the fall that happened in the garden. Grief is, is an emotion that only God can heal. Grief is, is something only that, that Jesus himself and in his kingdom and in, in his power can we make it through. Jesus here is saying that even in the midst of pain and suffering and hurt and grief, our hope isn't here. And I think that's sometimes the hardest trip up in this processing of grief is that it, 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 it's something from this world. And that when we get to the point that we understand that our hope has to be eternal, that's the only true hope there is. The be, the, these beatitudes aren't just for anybody. These beatitudes are only meant for those who are followers of Jesus. 
Because when we really study these and look at these, there's really no way for us to live this life ourselves. And I think sometimes that's why people maybe outside of a relationship with God, look at these beatitudes and go, you're crazy. This doesn't make sense. I don't understand this poor in spirit. No, thank you. Mourning, I'm out. Meekness, I'm not gonna let everybody just walk all over me. Merciful, yeah, right. I'm getting revenge. Peacemaker, no thanks. We'll have peace when I rule over you. Persecuted, I'm out. Because I think these beatitudes come with the power of the Holy Spirit to allow us to be able to live these things out. Pastor Andre and I were talking about this series and kicking this off. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do the first sermon. He's like, cool, you're preaching on Beatitudes. And I'm like, time out? You mean I have to teach you this stuff? Wait, what? I struggled with this for these last couple of weeks, processing through this, thinking through, what am I supposed to say in this? Because I'm not the most popular guy right now, and I get it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to listen to myself sometimes. But the reality is that these beatitudes here are, are a deepening and a growing of our faith in Christ. It stretches us. It pulls us. It takes us deeper sometimes than we ever want to go to a place that is not comfortable. And this process is called a big fancy word, called sanctification. That every single day is an opportunity for us to say no to ourselves and to say yes to Jesus. To say no to what we desire on this earth, to going, God, I'd rather have your kingdom come and your will be done in my life. Because the reality is and you probably heard it said, that God loves us so much that he sent his one and only son to this earth to die for our sins. And God also loves us so much that he won't leave us the way we are when he finds us. But that he will take us to a place where we are transformed and grow in his grace And his kingdom begins to grow in us. That's why Jesus continues on. He said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who don't push back, who don't strive, who don't cheat, who don't scheme to bring about success in this world. This world's about getting what's ours, right? Getting to the top of that corporate ladder, climbing to the top, having that money, having that house, having that car, having that status, having that place where we have arrived. And Jesus goes, it's actually the complete opposite. You hear time and time again of some of the most wealthiest people in the world interviewed. And they go, wealth has done nothing for me. I'm just as miserable. I'm just as empty. I'm just as lost. I thought, ah, just just hundred more dollars. I just just, just another hundred thousand. Just another hundred million. 
Just another 100 billion. It's just, it's just, just right there. But what do they find when they get there? Just more of the emptiness that they found before because their life is completely incomplete without Jesus. And that Jesus here is stating in this beatitude that God is more concerned about our humility, our unselfishness, and our actions that bring glory to God in all of our relationships. Now, I'm not saying that as Christians, we have to let everybody just walk all over us. That's not the definition of meek, if you haven't looked it up lately. But meekness is more about having a gentle spirit. Responding to people in kindness when they don't deserve kindness. Not a uh, quick reaction or try to like pop them back after they've popped us. But responding in a way that says, you're not going to do that, but in kindness. That's what being meek is about. You've probably heard it said, kill them with kindness, right? Maybe mom or grandma maybe taught you that one to remind you in life. But that's the reality here. That comes from the kingdom of God. We probably all know someone in our life that is just unbelievably patient. I hope you do. That person in my life is my dad. He, probably after running into houses on fire, um, he's a professional firefighter. He retired. He just doesn't run into flaming buildings. Um, But he has this peace and patience about him that is unbelievable. I remember as a kid, different times where life seemed to be just completely falling apart and my dad was just cool as a cucumber. And I remember that. And I always remember thinking, dad, how are you like that? Because my dad understood something greater than what was happening in the moment. He has and continues to have an eternal perspective. Jesus tells us as as being meek means that, that we are kind to others when they don't deserve it. Jesus talks about later in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 verses 4 and 1 to go the extra mile with other people. To be truthful to be covered in kindness, to be a person of peace. I don't know if you've ever met a person of peace in life, but there's just something special about being in their presence. You just want to have more time with them. You don't want to be with a person who's reactionary and crazy and and running all over the place like a chicken with their head cut off. You want to be with a person who is a person of just peace. And that's what Jesus saying is here is big happy is the person who has the peace of God over his life. Verse six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Another way to put it are blessed are those who want more of this world, who want justice and mercy and kindness and truth. I was talking with someone lately, I think it was a pastor and we were talking about sometimes as a pastor, you feel like you're trying to convince people in your church and in your life to eat their spiritual veggies. Any ever try to convince a child to eat carrots? 
Let me, let me preface that. Ever trying to convince a child to eat carrots who doesn't like carrots? Talk about going back and reading the Art of Negotiation by uh, the master class of Todd Voss. Man, I feel like this is a hostage negotiation sometimes with my kids to eat their veggies. Okay, if you do this, then I'll give you this. It's like a barter game. It's like, all right, I'll give you this. You hold this over them. And he eventually gets to the point where you're just yelling at each other. No, I'm kidding. Sure. But why do we want to convince kids to eat vegetables? Because they're packed with nutrients and vitamins and minerals and so many things that we know that is good for them. And I feel sometimes as a pastor, I get up and I, and I teach and I talk about, and Pastor Andre and I say so many things about you got to do this. We want you to do this. We want you to do that. It's not, it's not for us. It's, it's we want you to, to take in, to thirst, to hunger after things that are after God's heart, knowing that you will get your spiritual vitamins and your minerals, and you'll be able to grow healthy in God and to have his protection on you and his grace and his mind and his heart. Going back to that bid work sanctification again. That's what it's about. Jesus is saying here, blessed are those who eat their spiritual veggies. Not necessarily saying you got to have broccoli or kale or carrots or whatever, Brussels sprouts, whatever your worst veggie is that you don't like in your life. But what I am saying is that we need to have these things and to thirst and to hunger after them because they're good for us. Studies show that when you begin to eat these veggies and fruits and healthy things in your life, your body actually rewires itself and your taste buds change and so your body understands how great and necessary these things are for you that your body begins to crave them. I'm still waiting for that moment to happen in my life. I don't crave salad, but I eat it because I know it's good for me. We're in a new year, a new you. You've probably seen all of these advertisements around you for a healthy life and eating well and, and, and getting in shape and doing all this stuff. These beatitudes aren't just for the new year. These <laughs> beatitudes are for year-round. And that this is true for our spiritual lives. That reading scripture, prayer, worship, Sunday morning church attendance, serving, tithing, fasting, Sabbath, and so many more are part of God's kingdom here on earth. That when we get to heaven, we're spiritually fit, ready for what God has for us. Finish up these last few. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are those who are eager to condemn the people of this world, but assume the best, seek to understand, and are quick to forgive. I think we all could learn from this one. God put this on my heart a long time ago, but to think the best in everybody. We wouldn't want that for ourselves, would we not? So why not give that to others too? It's hard sometimes. But that's what God's kingdom is about. 
Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they see God. Blessed are those people who have not been corrupted by this world, but can still see beauty and those hearts inclined towards what is right, loving and good. This might be one of the heartless Beatitudes, in my perspective. I will, I will, I will admit I'm a, I'm a self-negative person sometimes. I'm not necessarily optimist. I need more in my life. But everybody at some point tends to have the half glass half empty perspective, do you not? I came across this recently online. I thought it was hilarious. But you have the optimist who is half full. You have the pessimist that's half empty. The realist, this is a glass of water. The physicist, this is gas and this is liquid. The surrealist of the vertical split. You have the relativist is half empty, half full. You have the optimist, optopist, optopist. It's elevating water. That's probably Jesus's cup right there. You have the skeptics. This is not water. And then you have the artist who just puts the brush in the cup. Jesus wants us and has our desire to have an optimistic view of this world. Because when we see that, we see that Jesus is telling us this life of big, happy, and huge, joyful are for those who keep a pure heart and are kind and are loving and are generous. Because the reality is that we're all created in the image of God. Each and every one of us, those here, those outside, those around the corner from you, those who don't have the same viewpoints of life as you, those who vote differently than you, those who don't like you, those who love you, those who you don't even know, those who are on the other side of the earth that you will never meet are all created in the image of God and are to be treated in that same way. And we have to see that, that blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Because when you see God in creation of everybody around us, your perspective changes. You can't have an earthly focused here perspective with that mindset. When you see that all are created in the image of God, you see all of God's beauty, you see all of God's creativity, we see all of God's uniqueness in every single one of us. And it is in that that we begin to see God himself. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who seek reconciliation between God and man and between friends and neighbors. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says this, Do not be anxious of anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understandings, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do we truly believe that God is a God of peace? Because this scripture here, right, right here, tells us and reminds us that when we have this peace of God in our lives, nothing else matters. Nothing that we're walking through, nothing that we're facing, nothing that we're, we're, we're scared to even look at matters because the peace of God is covering us. And I love that. And I think of this image of abundance of peace of God, which, which just transcends all of our minds and protects us, I think it allows us to share that peace with other people too. 
Because if we understand that God is fully taking care of everything, that we can then pass that on and take care of others. And we don't have to have all of this figured out, but that God does. This world is filled with broken relationships, strained relationships, damaged relationships. And we know the master relationship repair fix it guy. And everybody can talk their talk. Everybody can have their book. Everybody can have their podcast or their blog post of thinking how to fix this relationships that are broken in the world. But only God truly fixes those relationships because he ultimately created all of them. He knows how to fix them. So it takes us to our final. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all things of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Be big happy, because great is your reward in heaven for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed are those who push through suffering, bear a little shame in order to pursue the kingdom of God here on earth. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I think churches and pastors have done a really bad disservice of selling this idea of comfort Christianity. Because the reality is, and I see this here, Jesus is saying, following Jesus, following me, being a disciple of God, isn't full of comfort. It's full of unseen circumstances. It's full of twists and turns. It's full of some hardships. It's full of some pain, some suffering. But even in the midst of all of that, God is saying, I will give you everything that you need. That even in the midst of everything that you're walking through, God's got your back. And that we might have some hurt, some struggle, because reality is not about us. It's not about our comfort here on earth. God's about his kingdom in heaven. And we're here for a purpose. We're here for a reason. We're here to have his calling fulfilled in our life for eternity. The life that you live is so minuscule of a blip on a map or a dot in a line that wraps around the world. What are we going to do with how we live here and now? Because it's going to echo through eternity. Jesus is teaching us here a master class on how to live our lives. Not only how to live our lives, but living our lives with the eternal perspective. The question is, how will we respond? Will we come into church on a Sunday where they don't have a band and go, ah, there's video worship again. But do we sit here and go, I was able to worship with my family today. 
I was able to give praise to God even though we didn't have an awesome drummer or a highly skilled and amazing bass player or a guitarist or a vocalist that just has the greatest voice in the face of this earth. Did I still worship God even in the midst of that? Do I still have time in my Bible with God even though it seems old and unrelevant and doesn't make sense and I don't get it and there's no pictures and it does, I, I, just tiny words. But do we go, I get to listen and read the words of the heavenly father, creator of the universe for me. And everything that he has, he wants me to know is in this book. That it's alive. This isn't just any ordinary book. There's something incredible about this that changes people for eternity. Does this change my prayer life? Does it change my generosity, my tithing, my giving, how I spend my money? Does it change how I attend church? Does it change the way that I Sabbath? Does it change blank? You guys get the picture. Our eternal perspective with Jesus should change everything about who we are, our priorities, our lives, the way we act, the way we live, the moment we wake up till we put our head on the pillow should be completely different because of God's eternal perspective in our lives. Question for us, will we follow those even if it gets a little uncomfortable? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for Jesus coming to earth, leaving his comfort zone of heaven to, to, to walk on this ground, to live out as the example and to teach us what this world is all about. So God, I pray this year and in 2023, we might grow up in our relationship with you, God that we might step into the calling that you ultimately have for our lives, even if it's painful or uncomfortable. But I pray, God, it would take us to a deeper place of faith with you because I couldn't imagine or fathom being anywhere else. Jesus, thank you for being the master and giving us this incredible Sermon on the Mount God, help us to take these eight Beatitudes with us today and this week and this year. That it would transform our lives and transform the lives of those around us. We thank you, Jesus, for this morning. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, thanks, guys, for hanging out. I love you guys. We'll be back next Sunday, Lord willing, with worship. Amen? Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you would, please take a moment to subscribe and leave an encouraging review to help others find our podcasts on whatever platform you are listening on. We hope you have a wonderful day. We'll catch you next week.